Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dear Future Hubby Podcast. I am your girl and host, Teresa Reese, and y'all know how we do it. Let's get started with my book of poetry. I'll be reading a poem from my book called A Strong-Willed Mind, Healing Scars Over Time Through My Poetry. And the name of this poem is called Healing While Hurting. Just the other day, I was hurting. Hurting from my past because there were things that I lacked. And it felt and it left me feeling deserted. No one bothered to console me as the burdens overloaded within me. And my heart broke into pieces, but I had no clues on how to mend it. Those who I called family, I couldn't even depend on them. So the pain began to slowly grow. This reflection I didn't know. When I looked in the mirror, all I saw was fear. I became a stranger to myself and tried many times to ask for help. But my cries for help went ignored. No understanding of what I was crying for. Too many, I always appeared to be strong, but the pain still lingered on. They thought that I was hiding the truth when I confessed that I was hurting because of you. You wouldn't listen when I spoke. My hopes and dreams you often choked. The voice I found, you silenced it, causing me to doubt myself often. I began to lack self-confidence and insecurity slowly crept in. Getting negative attention from men when what I needed was reassurance from you. I had no way of knowing at the time. Maybe this is how I got blindsided. But you were also hurting if you would just confess. You saw my joy and you envied my happiness. This is what I saw over time. But your abuse almost cost me my life. Now I understand that you couldn't give me what you refused to possess, which was the ultimate forgiveness. It's hard to believe that you almost robbed me of my true happiness. Yes, the memories are still very painful, but you didn't get the last word. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Those thoughts at times bring back a bitter sting, but I'm so glad that I'm finally healing. So tonight, I just wanted to talk about going through the process of healing. I'm not sure why sometimes we feel like any time that we have gone through something, that it's a quick fix or a quick resolution. Um, pain, no matter the magnitude, however it was inflicted, there's always going to be a process to heal from the pain. And then there's going to be moments in our life where it's still tender 
when certain situations come up or certain conversations come up or certain thoughts pop up, triggers. And sometimes we don't even know that something is a trigger. Sometimes we really believe, oh, okay, because I can talk about it without my bottom lip quivering or because I can talk about it without my tone of voice rising or because I can talk about it without shaking, because I can talk about it without a tear dropping down from my eyes that I'm healed. That's not necessarily always the case. Healing comes in parts, not always all together. So I've learned how to listen to my body and the language that it speaks to literally become the thermometer of my healing thermometer, so to speak, to where when I'm in a certain atmosphere or I'm around certain people that have previously caused me harm, how I know that I'm healed is that my heart is not racing. I'm not trying to hurry up and find a way of escape. I can hold an actual conversation and I'm not having an anxiety attack. I am able to pray for them if someone says to pray for them. I am able to laugh at their jokes and I am able to look at them eye to eye and not flinch. Not look to the left, not look to the right, but I can look at them in their eyes. This is how I personally know that I have healed from a situation. And I'm grateful for the ability to heal. I never said quickly, but I am grateful for the ability to heal. But in that, there has to be a willingness to heal. Because the longer that we hold on to stuff, the longer that we hold on to grudges, the longer that we hold on to that pain or that feeling of indifference or that hatred, the longer that we hold on to that, it just eats us up on the inside. And there's nothing about that that represents healing. If anything, it represents unforgiveness. And that is like killing ourselves slowly. So there was a class that I took one time um, and I all of a sudden don't remember the name of it. I always talk about that. All of a sudden, I don't remember. That's crazy. But um, the class, it'll probably come back to me. But the class that I took, it I took it one season and then I asked my son to take it because he did not know his father until he was age 11. So I asked Josh if he would take it the second time. But when I was taking that actual course, I think it was called Bethesda. But um, when I was taking the course, it literally taught us about wounds, intentional wounds that are inflicted on us and unintentional wounds that are inflicted on us. And then one of the projects that we were asked to do was for us to write a letter to the offender. And I remember that there were two letters that I wrote. 
one of them I actually read to the class and by the time I was finished there was not a dry eye in the room and it was to my biological father and I wrote this letter because I never had the opportunity to form an actual relationship with my biological father so I didn't get the daddy-daughter dates. I didn't get the I love you's. I didn't get the hugs. I didn't get the kisses on the forehead. I didn't get the, you know, play dates and going to the park. And I didn't. I don't have any of those memories with my biological father nor with my stepfather. And so what I did when I wrote this letter to my biological father, um, I ended up just expressing to him how his absence affected me in more ways than one. Now, I do believe that, you know, rejection is God's protection. And even though I felt some type of way of not having my biological father present in my life, maybe that was a blessing in disguise. But not having the opportunity to find that out on my own, it still left a void in my heart. And so going through that journey, writing down what I felt as a teenager, not having my biological father present, what I felt as a young black female, not having my biological father present, what it felt like to get married and not having my biological father present, just anything monumental, my children, just all of that, not knowing or ever being able to form a relationship with their biological grandfather because now he has passed on. And so um, I also expressed to him how I felt in terms of his passing and how I had made a pact with myself that when I turned age 18, that I was going to no longer be under the covering of my parents to the point that I could literally go out and seek my biological father. So my birthday is January the 9th. I found out a month later, I don't remember the precise date, but I found it a month later. Um, I was at school, I was in high school, and my cousin came to me and she was like, did you make it to the funeral? And I was like, what funeral? She was like, Teresa, your dad passed away. We just had his funeral today. Imagine being a teenager and you hear those words from someone that you just found out only a few months prior that y'all were blood related. That the person whom you had prayed that you would be able to form a relationship with whom you had only physically or only remembered physically seeing him twice in your lifetime. And now you find out that the things that you had hoped for are now null and void. I didn't know how to process that at the time. I didn't know how to even, I didn't know what, to feel in that moment I didn't know how I should feel because that was just I didn't even know the intent of how the delivery was made like it was just too much for me to wrap my brain around it's like now all I have are those memories 
Now all I have is what my mother said about you. Now all I have is what my grandparents have told me about you. But I will never, ever get an opportunity to build a relationship with you on my own. And to have to go through that and then to try to make peace with it and not necessarily have the best of relationships with your stepfather at that time was very complicated. Very, very complicated. And it was hurtful. And I got through it. But at the same time, now looking back from the lens of a 47-year-old, that young lady felt displaced and had no one to tell, had no one to confide in because she didn't even know how to formulate the words that a part of her identity had been stripped from her. A part of who she was that she could never reconnect with was now gone. The answers that she needed in terms of why he left and stayed gone would not be answered. At least not by him. And so dealing with that level of pain, trying to make sense of it all as a teenager, I mean, you can only do so much when you're still a child yourself, right? So I did the best I could. But when I look back, I realized that a lot of decisions that I made in terms of looking for love in all the wrong places and wanting to be accepted by the opposite sex and wanting to have a sense of belonging and wanting to feel as if my presence mattered because in so many different ways I was told that it did not I'm grateful that I lived to talk about it and I'm grateful that I knew enough to seek help but at the same time how many young women go through what I'm going to call for the lack of better words, an identity crisis where they are hurting, but they're trying to heal. Their objective is to heal so that they could eventually become whole. But they don't even realize how many holes they have in their heart because certain things have just constantly been happening to them. And we've been told to just Get over it. Get through it. This happens to everyone. I mean, who tells us this stuff? Like, do they really believe in when they're saying this stuff? Or is that just their coping mechanism because the truth is too painful to truly deal with? Whatever the reason, I have come to find out that it is imperative that instead of letting those things fester on the inside of me, 
that I talk about it. And it's necessary because that's another form of healing. I remember when I literally was placed in a, I don't even know what it was called. We're just going to call it Shoal Creek, y'all, because I don't even know what it was called. But I was placed in Shoal Creek because I had an episode. I had recently been displaced. Didn't know it was a trigger. Had not one clue. But I had recently been displaced. I had lost everything. And so me and my children had to relocate from Dallas to Austin. And it took a moment. And I guess when I, and I mean, it took a moment to process everything. Because I'm one of those people that whenever I do, I have a, what is it, fight or flight mentality. And so um, I've kind of like put down the the boxing gloves. And so I don't fight as much, but, you know, I will definitely try to figure out a way of escape. So we were in this situation where one of our supporters um, decided that they were going to remove themselves from the equation of our lives, me and my children, and where my bills were being paid and um, where I was getting assistance one day that well just ran dry and so me and my children were forced to go ahead and relocate to Austin so in the course of doing all of that I don't think I processed what all I had gone through because anytime someone important I've known this person for 16 years so anytime someone or something important takes place Um, For me, if I'm just trying to figure out how to survive, I may not process it at that moment. And this was one of those times. So we did everything we had to do. I had my whole, you know, I had to make sure I took care of business. Um, Got to Austin, settled in with at my parents' home. And um, that was an adjustment. And I remember this particular day. I literally, you would have thought that I must have had suicide on the brain because the things that I was doing, none of none of the things that I was doing was making sense on that particular day. And I remember actually witnessing someone shoplifting and I literally became so self-righteous in that moment righteous whatever and I stood up to the shoplifter and it was a male and I confronted him and he got in my face but I didn't flinch I had no fear I literally was up in his face like try it let's see how far you get with that but I was just like so bold in that moment And the um, manager ended up escorting him out of the store. Everything was confirmed. You know, so I I just had an eye for that. I don't know. I've always, I don't know where, but anyway, that particular day I was doing way too much and it could have cost me my life. Um, And I didn't realize it until after the fact, but in the heat of the moment, I just wanted, I just wanted the lady that was affected. I wanted her to be okay. It was an elderly lady. 
Um, I wanted her to be okay. And then also everybody, all the customers. I just, I don't know. I was more worried about the people than I was myself. And so um, I dealt with that. Then I heard some disturbing, I heard something said about me that I should not have heard, but I heard it. And when, because I walked in on a conversation and it was being said to my child about me. And I should not have heard it, but I did. And I did not know that that was a trigger for me. And the words were, your mother doesn't care about you. When I heard those words, I didn't know that that was a trigger. But it, it literally put me in a headspace that I had never been familiar with. And I had a migraine for 15 hours. So by the time I went to the hospital, and it wouldn't have been a big deal for me to have this migraine had I not suffered from two brain surgeries. <laughs> so for me to have a migraine for 15 hours was a really, really big deal. So when I got to the hospital, I went to the emergency room because it just would not go away. When I got to the hospital, to this day, I can't even find this movie. But it was a movie that had Tyler Perry in it. And it was some words that were said. Anyway, I was supposed to be being seen. And um, this movie pops up on the, you know, on the screen. And it was the words that were said. Those words and how they were said took me through the whole journey in the course of the trauma that I had gone through in my life those I don't to this day I cannot I don't know which movie it was but the words that were spoken on that screen was another trigger for me and I had a nervous breakdown I had a nervous breakdown and could not stop crying and could not stop screaming And I remember the nurse coming in and when she came in, she was like, we can't let you go. So they put me in this room to monitor me. And then they had to contact my family to let my family know. A total stranger paid $10,000 for me to go to, we're going to call it Shoal Creek because I don't know what it was, but it's something similar to that. Um, for me to go to Shoal Creek for one week and while I was there I wrote down every traumatic encounter that I've ever faced now this was this was about six or seven years ago so up until that we'll say up until the age of 40 up until the age of 40 so I wrote over 100 traumatic experiences that I had encountered in my lifetime. I sat with that. And then the counselor comes in. And when she comes in, I show her the two pages of trauma that I had dealt with. And she looked at me and she said, 
there are people that have only encountered one traumatic experience, Teresa. And they are on medication for the rest of their lives. You have encountered over 100. And I'm trying to figure out how is it possible that you weren't here before now? How is it possible that you had not even thought about these thoughts, suicidal thoughts and everything else until now? She was like, then she told me something about a road and <laughs> she gave me like all the, these other terminology. I could tell you like it was just too much. But anyway, pretty much what she was telling me was there was there's a road. I'm just going to paraphrase because I don't remember what she said verbatim. She used too many words that I probably will never be able to recant. But one thing that she, I believe that she was trying to say was is that there's a certain level of tolerance that our body is created to take when it comes to trauma. Based on the trauma that I had encountered, that road was more than less traveled. That road was traveled so much, there was no more road left. And it's amazing that I could still smile. It's amazing that I could still have feelings. It's amazing that I could still articulate and communicate without being completely medicated. I believe that that's because God's hand is on my life. Because I do believe had I processed the magnitude of over a hundred traumatic encounters that, and that's not including what happened from 40 to 47. We're just talking about what happened up until age 40. But had I truly processed it the way that according to her, it's supposed to be done or whatever. Yeah, sanity might not have been how I would have been able to be defined, but God. So, yeah, I'm grateful that I was able to articulate and put it on paper. I don't even know where it's at at this point because I don't think I ever want to relive that again. <laughs> yeah, But I did get it out. I did get it out. I wrote it down. I got it off of me. Maybe that's when my true healing began. Is when I was able to see that this happened to me. But it didn't take me. And that's all by the grace of God. So this is going to conclude my podcast on tonight. But y'all know how I do it. Before I go, I want to read a letter to my future hubby. And it was written on January the 26th of 2021. Dear future hubby, tonight as I write you, Chadwick Bozeman is heavy on my heart. My son Xavier and I just finished watching the movie Wakanda Forever together. I then started to watch a 2020 tribute for Chadwick Bozeman, and I fought back the tears. He was the prime example of living his life with purpose on purpose. He will most definitely be missed. I couldn't finish watching 2020 because I would have been no good afterwards. I'm extremely sensitive, especially when it comes to things like that. 
but I was also encouraged. I was encouraged to stay in the race, to continue to live my dreams out loud unapologetically. I told Xavier how I would really love to act someday. Talk about dreaming out loud, right? Well, I hope that you are dreaming out loud, future hubby. I love you. Love, Teresa. I hope that you all have a blessed and wonderful evening. I also hope that even if you are still hurting in areas that you are doing all that you can to heal, it is imperative that we heal, that our broken hearts mend, so that whatever our purpose is in life, that it can truly be fulfilled. Have a blessed and wonderful evening. And like I always say, take care of yourself because there is only one you. Signing out, your girl Teresa.